time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in to another edition of 5th Avenue Faceoff. You know where to get it. You follow us. Inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, and the newest episodes come right to you as soon as they're ready to download, or wherever you get your podcast for that matter. Make sure you're subscribed, make sure you're listening, of course, downloading and listening, and rate and leave a review as well through whatever service you're using to get Fifth Avenue Face Off. By all means, rate the podcast on the quality of the podcast and not the quality of the play of the Penguins the last week or so. My God, uh, Eric Tangrady with me. I'm Chris Mack, by the way. Follow us on Twitter uh, and get instant reaction uh, to what is happening with this team because it hasn't been pretty, Tango. First of all, how are you? Hopefully you're doing better than this team is right now. No, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, man, it's just, it's been, um, you know, I think in life and everything, we're all just striving for consistency. And I think that's all we're looking for from a, from a sports standpoint as well. It's like we, you know, one step forward, a couple steps back and, uh, we we discussed this road trip, felt pretty good about how things were leaving the, the West Coast and then to come back at some games at home and not just take care of business. And I mean, last night you hear the news that Barzell's out and you're like, OK, like, like, let's send a message right now. This is a right. game like we absolutely should win. And it was just you just kind of felt it as the game went on. You're just waiting, like we get a little too comfortable, a little too comfortable. And then boom, before you know it, the game's over and another loss. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because Josh Yoey of The Athletic brought it up. Yes, Sid point blank last night after the loss to the Islanders. Are you guys a fragile bunch? And emotionally, mentally, with everything that's starting to stack up on the shoulders pressure wise, of the stars of this team. Yeah, they've been through the battles before. They've got three cups to show for it, but the depth lines aren't producing offense. They've lost three in regulation now in a row, which you're losing these games in hand that were supposed to be of your benefit in the standings. Uh, You've got the worst uh, record in the league, I think, when it comes to protecting third period leads. And you've lost nine in a row in the Metro division. Uh, Tango, I don't know how... Look, I understand. Again, they've been through a lot of ups and downs before, and they're going to try and remain even keeled. But I don't understand how you pulled the nose up on this thing uh, without there being some sort of major message sent to the boys in the room by Ron Hextall in the next week to 10 days. For sure. Uh, we talk about confidence uh, in that locker room. We talk about the, 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 the stats when having a third period lead. Um, you want to have that feeling, the feeling that we all remember, those Penguins teams where it was, you know, a one-goal game in the third, all that pedigree, all that experience, like game's over, especially at home. Um, so it's something to be weary of. And the, and the fact that that is the consistent part of what's been happening, there isn't really, you know, we talk about maybe locker room-only meetings and leadership leading by example and um, the bottom six you know, having a hard time finding a way to be like that, that impact that we need in these games. I, yeah, a message is definitely something that needs to get sent, whether it's this, you know, we talk about, they don't need a catastrophic move, but I just think they need something to, to spark the club to get them, uh, you know, o- over that hurdle. Yeah. And, and I guess that's the next question then that spins off of that. Cause when you talk about not necessarily having to make a, a mammoth sized move and, who knows? They might not have the resources and the cap space available to make a major move at the deadline. The next question that comes up in a lot of people's minds is, well, 
what are we doing it for then just to get bounced in the first round again? And I don't know if there's enough out there for them to do Like, it, it, look, we obviously, when you decide to bring back uh, Malkin and Latang and extend rust and bring Raquel back and all of these guys that are uh, right on the precipice of 30 or much older than that, you're saying we're all in on now. So you have to do something at the deadline. I get it. But I, I don't know if Ron Hextall has it in him. Uh, to, to make uh, the kind of move that does anything more than just eke this team back into the playoffs for a 17th straight year, and then they get bounced in five games by Boston. We, we really, as, as a fan base, we don't really know what the direction uh, where the team is headed. I think when you look at Ron Hextall and, and him being a newer GM here, um, you don't want to say that his job's on the line, but you don't, you know, I don't know if he's the, the future as a three to five year general manager to go through a rebuild. So you, you sign those veterans to some of those extended deals that put you in win now mode, but some of the pieces aren't adding up to, to, to prove that model. So uh, it'd be very interesting to see, you know, as a fan base, I sit here as a fan and look at it like maybe we just try to get some assets and build for the future, something that's never happened here in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. but just being satisfied, being a, a team to continue a record of a playoff streak is not kind of what the tradition of Penguins hockey is built around. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder, Eric, if if you if you do just enough to get into the playoffs this year um, and you're Ron Hextall, can you get Brian Burke or whoever's in charge at Fenway to give you a little bit more leash and say, hey, just get me to the offseason so I can get out from underneath these these bottom six forwards and maybe try to spin some things forward with a little more cap space. That's what I, my argument would be, I think, if I were Hextall and I'd put myself in this situation. But again, I, I, I don't know if that's if that's going to be enough for fans. Cause I think fans want to have a clear direction of either we're all in or we're going to tear it down as much as you can around 87, 71 and 58. I got one question to sort of lighten the mood for you after one more legit hockey question. And that legit hockey question is the scrap at the end of the second period against the Islanders on Monday night. First of all, I love Jason Zucker and the way this guy has played this year. He's been all blood and guts, pure energy, exactly the kind of guy that if you went out and got someone for the top six, I wouldn't hesitate to slide him down into a third line role because he'd be energy. He'd be, uh, you know, momentum, all of that with a scoring touch that he's refound this year. Now that he's healthy on a consistent basis. But I guess from your perspective, did that, did that turn the tide in the Islanders favor? Because they get the trade off there, right? Malkin, Latang, Pedersen, Zucker all go off Zucker for 10 minutes and instead, you know, Johnston, Martin, a couple other pluggers for the Islanders get sent off. And that seems like the perfect trade-off if I'm the Islanders to get some of the energy back on my side after I've been dominated for 40 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I, that That's exactly what we talk about momentum. Sometimes momentum doesn't just necessarily mean like somebody's being aggressive, you know, like it, it, unwritten rule in hockey. When you're when your back's against the wall and your team's struggling, somebody drops their gloves or shows that side of commotion or energy like that's a spark. Like he cares. He wants to win. This is good for our club. But there's also times in a game where you have to kind of pick your spots and when to do those types of things. So when you look at trade-offs back back in the early 2010s and then when the Islanders weren't very relevant, like that's all they tried to do to beat the Penguins is let's mm -hmm. find a way get under the top player's skin. Let's trade off that, you know, any bottom six guy we can from one of their top six guys to try to balance the, we'll call it balance the sheet of the lines. And, and that's something, regardless of the energy, the spark that he thought we were providing for, for the Penguins, like that's a win for them and 
totally shifted the momentum into their favor where it's like, no, let's let them, let's stop with the net front. Let's take the punches. Let's get back on the power play and let's just, let's bury this team. And instead of, yes, we care, let's be aggressive and put ourselves in that situation to, to be in the box. Yeah, I understand the delicate balance. You want to stick up for your stars, especially because guys have been running Crosby most of the night. And again, I love Zucker's energy and what he brings, and I love the fire and passion from Malkin, but it was not the trade-off they needed at that point in the game, and I think it worked in the Islanders' favor, given that Matt Martin, like him or not, is an expert in this field, has been doing it for, it feels like a decade in the league. Um, so before I let you run, this is we got to lighten the mood just a little bit, because if we don't, we're going to lose our minds. I saw something today. There's a news story out about going to a four-day work week, okay? So I'm asking Eric Tangrady, you get to add one day to the weekend. Which day are you adding? Wow. Wow. It's tough. I, 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 you know, if we're going to start letting people have four-day weeks, let's be picky with it. And let's say in the fall, we're getting Monday because of football. And then in the spring, like right when daylight savings hits, we hit Friday. Oh man, I love that little I, little transition. Like, oh, it's football season. Everyone's getting Monday, and then once the groundhog comes out, we get daylight savings again, and 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 spring forward, we'll go back, and you get Friday. Man, that is the kind of outside the box thinking the Penguins front office needs right now. Hire this man right now. <laughs> Good stuff, Tango. I appreciate you doing it today. Catch it. We'll do it. I know our schedule's a little wonky because the game schedule this week, but we'll do it again on Friday if it's cool with you. And uh, thanks for making the time today, man. We'll catch up soon. No, thank you, and thanks to all the people listening. Um, it's exciting to kind of get this thing launched. And um, like you mentioned, feedback's encouraged. If there's a segment they want us to start talking about and something that we can add a different element, and and, and we're I think we're all ears to see we absolutely. Thing. So uh, it's been. A, Fun ride so far, and I look forward to continue it, hopefully into the playoffs. Great stuff, as always, from Tango. I love that. the idea. I love the idea of the three-day weekend shifting once daylight savings time comes in. He's he's an innovator. I'll give Eric Tangrady that, if nothing else. And also a survivor of the battles against the Islanders years ago. We all remember the old Valentine's Day massacre out on Long Island. Uh, I know one guy who definitely remembers it, and he'll join us next. Penguins historian. He's definitely up on what's going on with the current roster. Bob Grove will join us next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in. It is Fifth Avenue Faceoff, the latest episode ready to go. Leading up to a visit from the Edmonton Oilers, we will talk to Jason Greger of TSN 1260 Edmonton a little bit later and try to get a reaction to a team that's in a much better position out in the Western Conference, going through some similar problems to what the Penguins are going through, but the problems for the Penguins are many, and here to put them in some perspective, Penguins historian, and he knows a lot about the current team as well. Bob Grove. Grover, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate you doing it and coming on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Follow me on Twitter at Bob Grove 91. I love the fact that you're still tweeting stuff out during games, little nuggets that makes me go, hmm, look at that. <laughs> and one of those things um, that, and forgive me, may have been a nugget that you tweeted out, but I definitely saw it somewhere. This team is now just three of 23, and this is one of the minor problems. We'll get to major problems in a second. Three of 23 on the power play since the All-Star break. So of all the things going wrong, that might be a little farther down the list of priorities when we talk about third-line center, when we talk about 
reliable playoff goaltending. But it seems to me that the classic case of the Penguins power play pushing too much, trying to do too much, maybe getting manifested on that power play, which was doing well going into the break and now has seemingly regressed as those superstars maybe feel the added weight on their shoulders of trying to produce the offense for this team. Yeah, they've struggled, and it's great to be on with you, Chris. Uh, they, they've really struggled here recently, and um, they should be doing a lot better. The first unit has just, look, it's been a combination of things for me. There's been a, there's been a few games over the past month where I would say to you, number one, they're not creating enough power play chances for themselves. They're not earning those chances. Uh, and then I see zone entry has been a kind of a major problem now for almost two months. Um, they don't – They at times they look like – They've never practiced it before, and we all know they have practiced it before, and they've used it in games. Um, they seem congested at the blue line sometimes, not certain where everybody's going. It's, it's been a bizarre kind of a thing to watch. Um, and Sid is really great on face-offs on the power play generally. He's been he's been a little less than that. He's, been, he's not been winning as many face-offs as he normally does on the power play. It was a little bit of an issue last night as well. So that first unit is really, I mean, most of the time, I know they got a goal a couple of games ago from Malkin, but yeah, they're most of the time uh, they're having trouble even getting set up and it's hurting them. Yeah. And it, 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 Jenna Harner pointed this out on a previous episode. They're, they're facing a lot of pressure high in the zone, not just on entries, but even once they're set up in the zone, once they're able to gain possession and teams seem to have figured that part of this power play out that if you pressure them high in the zone, you're going to force them into poor mistakes near the, the top of the zone and at the blue line. And, that's how we're seeing all these odd man rushes head back the other way. You know, two on ones the other way, shorthanded. We saw a shorthanded goal the other night go back the other way. And it's something that, I, I, again, I, it, I get the sense it's born of a lot of frustration that these top six forwards are having to generate most of the offense. Well, it's, it's interesting because, as you, can, as you know, this is not the first time that teams – this is not the first season that teams have tried to press the Penguins a little bit. I mean, these guys that have been on the Penguins power play, they've seen it before and they've dealt with it before. But it is it has been an issue this season for them. Uh, it They have the skill set to deal with it. You want to press up high. And by the way, I love teams that kill penalties aggressively like that. I mean, that's not the way the Penguins do it. You know, they do it their own way. And they were number one their own way earlier this year. They're certainly not number one anymore. But I love teams that do that. But the, this Penguins power play has the skill set to deal with it. Like they have the hands, they have the experience, they have the vision, they should be able to deal with it, but they haven't dealt with it as well. And again, when you talk about what are you giving up on the other side of shorthanded chances, anytime you're going with one defenseman on your power play has been the Penguins way for years now. And one of the other guys that's playing the point is Evgeny Malkin. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's it's it, and it's again, like I said, it's it's one of the I don't want to call it a minor problem because it's starting to become a, a larger one as we push down the stretch here with about a third of the season left. But it's certainly nothing in comparison to the fact that the two depth lines for this team, the third and fourth line, the third line in particular, are not just not producing offense, Bob, but they're detrimental defensively. They're detrimental at, at all 200 feet of the ice um, and. That is something, look, Ron Hextall's talked about the cap issue. We know that exists. Um, we know that Jeff Carter has a no-move clause. He's not going anywhere. Uh, he and Kasperi Kapanen getting the contracts they did have set this team up to, to be unable to, to really do anything about the problem. You know, I had people uh, earlier on Tuesday morning, you know, tweeting and texting saying, well, why don't they just uh, wave these guys and do this? It, it's not that simple. Uh, you know, I, I don't 
I don't sympathize necessarily with Ron Hextall because he's put himself in this position. That's correct. That's correct. But there, there are not any easy ways out of this problem right now. Well, no, and certainly, certainly the waiver wire isn't the way off. So no. for starters, Carter can't be put on it. He has a no movement clause, and you know, unless he consents, and he's not going to do that. Um, Kapanen, you put him on waivers. Okay, even if he clears, um, what are you going to do? You're going to sign him to the American Hockey League, so you would gain a, do- a million dollars in cap space. But my point is being who's who's replacing them. Right. It's not like they have guys at the American Hockey League level who are pounding on the door to get in and the Penguins believe are ready to come in. You don't have that situation. Uh, and this is why it's, it's really kind of for me, it's the trade market or nothing. And, you know, these two players are, are a problem because I don't think there's any interest in Kapanen. I don't think there's any interest in Carter. Um, but. But even though the fourth line's not been as egregious as the third line, I mean, you're not getting a ton out of them either. And, and right. Teddy Bluger's just, I mean, this is a contract year for him, and it's its a, become a nightmare season for him. Um, and I don't think, you know, when I also think about Archibald, like for me, he had, you know, it was okay last night, but I don't think he's been quite the same player he was since he came back from his injury. Um, Paling's been, he's been hurt three or four times now this season. I like him, but he's not been able to stay healthy. Um, so I look at the third line right now and here's what I'm saying, Chris, is there's your trade opportunity for me. I think the most marketable guy you have is McGinn. And I think Ruda might be right behind him. And I don't think you'd miss either one of them. Um, I like Ruda. I like Ruda, but I'm saying you, you would, I mean, let me rephrase that. You'd miss them, but you could deal with it. If you, if this is the way you need to create yourself some space to go out and get somebody to help your bottom six, McGinn has just not been the player that we've seen him in the National Hockey League in recent seasons. For whatever reason, it's not working for him here, and it's not just about his lack of production. Um, he, he's just not making an impact on games. But I know he can do this. He's he's a player who can make an impact with his body by being physical. He's a great penalty killer. He, he, he'll block you shots. And I look at some teams like Seattle, like L.A., like Edmonton coming in here. They're playoff teams, and they have a penalty-killing problem. Would any of those guys be interested in adding again? Maybe. Uh, Ruta, look at the playoff experience he's had in Tampa Bay. He's been to the top of the mountain several times. He knows what it takes. He's a right shot defenseman. They don't grow on trees. He's not, neither one of these guys is making a ton of money. You know, they're not. Their contracts are not like big numbers you can't deal with even in the flat cap world right now. So I think both of those guys are marketable and I would be trying to move them to try and uh, create the space and bring in the guys you need to fix some of the other problems you have. I don't think you'd miss him again right now at all. And I like Ruta, but you just have to deal with missing him. Yeah. You know, it's actually, and when you do combine the two cap hits, Bob, you end up with about five and a half million dollars worth of cap space, which, you know, if you, if you were able to move both of those guys out and here's the key to the, the linchpin to the whole thing is we saw Kyle Dubas work, uh, spend a little bit of gold over the weekend in Toronto is you've got to include another team. This, this isn't as simple as there, there aren't going to be, I know people were talking a month, month and a half, two months ago about, well, maybe there's a hockey trade to be made and salary out and salary in yes. Salary out is and salary in is how it's going to have to happen, but it's going to have to involve a third team as we saw with, the St. Louis Toronto deal involving Minnesota to, to allocate for some of Ryan O'Reilly's cap hit. And that may have to be what Ron Hextall does here is, is get creative. Like you said, maybe there are takers from McGinn and or Ruta out in the Western conference. You gain some cap space and spin it back around and turn it into a deal 
for the third an offensively gifted third line center who may still be out there to, to add a little bit of punch to your bottom six. Yeah. And, and remember too, I mean, you're not shopping for rentals. I mean, why can't he, you know, make a trade for a guy who has some term and, you know, he's going to be around for another couple of years and maybe he's not making a ton of money, but you, you like him and you think he can maybe be part of what you're, you're, you want to do going forward. I don't, you're right. I mean, in today's world in the national hockey league, trying to make trades, Anytime you're dealing with a big salary like O'Reilly's was, you're going to have to probably bring in a third team to, to take some of it as mm-hmm. part of the deal. Like with these two guys, I don't think they're even big enough that you might not even have to do that. I mean, so you just talked about the space you could clear there. Uh, Danton Heinen, if you send him to the American Hockey League, there's another million dollars. Right. He's sitting in the press box right now. So this is the thing is there are things to do. There are things that could be done. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy to make trades in today's environment. It won't be, but we can all see the problems. We can all see the writing on the wall that there's, there's a lot, there are big holes in this team. And if you just made a commitment to bring, bring the band back for this season mm-hmm. and you didn't bring them back to miss the playoffs, then something needs to be done and you got 10 days to do it. But I guess I would say, looking at the way the team's playing right now, do you have 10 days to wait? Can right you wait until February 3rd or March 3rd to make that move. I'm not sure. And is there a move out there that pushes this team beyond the first round? You know, I, th- I think that's a valuable question too. As currently constituted, I don't think they're a team that gets past Carolina or Boston in the first round. Um, and even adding that third line centerpiece that we've talked about, I don't know if that's enough to push them beyond either way. Certainly not beyond Boston. I don't, I don't know who gets in the way of Boston at this point. And it, they, it doesn't seem to strike much confidence, I don't think, in most fans' hearts that if that's all they do at the deadline, that they're bound for anything more than seven more games at the most. Right. The right. No, I mean, it's different. This is, this is different than a scenario where you're third in the division and you're playing a second-place team because, look, we all know what happened the last couple of years, but you can you can build scenarios where they could have got out of the first round in those years. You know, injuries last year, the obvious situation. Mm-hmm. They almost won this. They almost won this series against a good Rangers team, despite all the injuries they had. That's not the situation this year. I don't see the Penguins winning a first round series against Carolina or Boston, or to that point, either, either the Rangers or the Devils, quite frankly. And yeah. you can't count out that they would overtake Carolina. I wouldn't think they will. I think Carolina will win the division, but yeah, it's different this year when you're in the wild card soup and you're playing a division leader. I don't see this Pittsburgh team being in but that doesn't mean you don't owe it to Sid and to Latang and to Malkin oh, sure. to, to try and improve the team. I'm not saying rip it up for a team that's going nowhere. I'm just saying, try to make some improvements. We can all try. If I don't see anything happen, yeah, and, and I guess this is the the question. And, and Josh Yowie wrote a piece in the Athletic this weekend, alluding to this question or along the same lines of this question, Bob. And the question is, if if things go down the way we expect them to this year, whether it's missing the playoffs or another first round exit. Who is it that's going to call Ron Hextall on the carpet? And will Hextall be the only one called on the carpet? You know, we we have yet to hear from anyone in this organization since Fenway took over above Brian Burke. Um, I, I think there's a valid question here about where are the marching orders coming from and what exactly are the marching orders? Because to your point you made a moment ago, you brought the band back, right? The big three are here. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. So clearly you're all in for now. But if you're all in for now then what are you waiting for in trying to build this team into something beyond a first-round playoff team? Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. You, you, the die was cast this offseason. And you not only brought, you know, Malkin and Latang back, but you brought back Rush, you brought back Raquel. I mean, those weren't two and three million dollar contracts, mm-hmm. you know, and, and those guys aren't 25. They're 30. So, you know, that that set the tone for what the season was going to be. And you didn't bring those guys back to miss the playoffs. So I, I don't know you know, why there's been so much inactivity, but I mean, look, Brian Burke's in, in basically in charge of the whole thing. Um, and if, if the Penguins miss the playoffs, do I think Hextall will be back? No, I don't. I don't think he'll be back. Um, you know, they didn't, they didn't structure this team to miss the playoffs. And uh, this is, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. There's a lot, there's a lot of games left. I mean, I know everybody's like, right. you know, uh, you know, it's, the sky is falling right now and I get it. It's, it's not only that they're losing, it's the way they're losing. It's the kind of mistakes that they repeatedly make like most games anymore. I get it, but there's a lot of hockey left and maybe something will happen. Maybe he is working on something and we'll just see. Well, I'll bring it back onto the ice then for one more question before we let you run Bob. And that is, are, are they consistent enough in goal. I know Tristan Jari, who, as as of right now, when we're having this conversation on Tuesday afternoon, has only been back for one game. I thought he played a really solid game, except for the two enormous mistakes he made. The Bo Horvat goal on the short side and then playing the puck erroneously, and it ends up behind him as well on a nice play by Matt Martin to Anders Lee. But uh, are they going to be able to get anywhere with this goaltending situation assuming this is a team that a can't put together a 60 minute effort. I think they've blown more third period leads than any other team in the league this year. And the one saving grace they have outside of their top six and their star power is that when Tristan Jari's on, he's an all-star level goaltender, Mm -hmm. but you know, his team gets him almost 20 more shots than the opposition last night on offense. And still it's just those two mistakes are just enough to have it all come crumbling down around him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was fine until then, but, you know, at the critical point of the game, he had an awful third period, and it cost him the game. Um, I have no problem with Tristan Jari. I think here's the thing about him in the playoffs. We don't know yeah. what kind of a playoff goaltender he is. He's never played in them. Like, I'm not counting game seven last year. That doesn't count. Um, I, kudos for him for trying to play, but he obviously wasn't ready. This guy going into last night's game, fifth among all starters in the league in save percentage. He's had a really good year. Yeah. But for the first time in his career, he's had a prolonged issue with injuries. This has never happened to him before. And they need him to get back. They depend on him so much, even more so than a typical team depends on their goaltender. They need this guy so badly um, that he's got to come back and, 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 play at a, a fairly high level for them to have a chance to get back in the playoffs. And I think this guy is, is, is a really good goaltender and it sets up an interesting situation for them because this is a career year for him. And um, you know, they've got to resign him and, and he won't be resigning at the money he's making. Now he'll be resigning for more money and he'll have a case to make, he'll, you know, that he, that he deserves it. And uh, so we'll see how he reacts to it. You know, Chris career years, some guys, it, it works differently. It's a career year for Beluber too. And it's, turn into a disaster and yeah. uh, if, if Jari can have a great finish then he, he's gonna you know he'll get the benefits of that this summer Bob great stuff thank you so much for taking the time to jump on thanks Chris great stuff from Grover as always uh he is 
been involved with the Penguins for years. So his knowledge, not just about today's team and the machinations they might have to go through to settle this roster down and make some moves in the next uh, week to 10 days is spot on. But he knows exactly uh, where they come from as well. All right. Time to get a perspective from the guys coming into town on Thursday. They've been having some similar problems in Edmonton, though, of course, not to the same extent the Penguins have been having. Jason Greger does afternoons on TSN 1260 in Edmonton. He will join me next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in. It is 5th Avenue Faceoff. Be sure to follow on your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get the latest episodes downloaded as soon as they are available We're trying to recover from these three regulation losses in a row in the Metro division, twice to the aisles in comeback fashion by New York, and uh, an ugly game, uh, an ugly loss at home to the Devils as well. And look ahead without great fear because Thursday at BBG Paints Arena, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Oilers come to town. Perfect guy to talk to about all of it. From TSN 1260 in Edmonton, does the afternoon show there, Jason Greger. Jason, thanks for taking some time today, man. We really appreciate it. Anytime, Chris. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Um, I was telling people earlier, you know, the Oilers are in a Western Conference that isn't quite as deep and competitive as the Eastern Conference this year. And obviously are much younger and faster than the Penguins are at this point. The Penguins the oldest team in the league now. But it feels like they're going through some similar issues, uh, i.e. having to deal with cap issues that are making possible trade deadline maneuvers difficult. Uh, In some cases, playing with a short bench like they have the last couple of games uh, between injuries and cap situations. Blowing third period leads like they did Sunday out in Denver. uh, A multiple goal third period lead uh, in that case to the Avalanche. And the Penguins, uh, you actually cited in one of your columns recently have the worst record in the league when it comes to losing third games in the third period. So what should we expect to give on Thursday night when the Oilers come to Pittsburgh? Because the Oilers, it, I don't want to say they don't have as much to fight for right now. They're still locked in a playoff battle. There's still a third of the season left, but the Penguins, I think for a lot of us here in Pittsburgh, we're hoping fingers crossed, knock on wood would find some next level of desperation given the way things have gone for them the past week or so. So what do you expect to go down on Thursday? Well, uh, whoever has a lead in the third period, you probably shouldn't feel safe. The uh, (laughs) Pens, of course, have lost uh, what they're – they've lost eight times. And I include overtime or shootout losses at a loss. Like, that's not a win, it's a loss. So they've lost eight. That's the most in the league. And the Orders have lost uh, six, which is tied with Colorado and a few other teams for second most. The Orders have actually blown three goal leads, three nothing leads in the last two games. They had a two goal lead entering the third against the Rangers and the Penguins and blew them both. So, you know, they, they play uh, Philadelphia on uh, on Tuesday and, you know, I expect a much better effort for the Orders. And, you know, the Penguins are below them in the standings, Columbus, their next three games. The funny thing is Edmonton from January 1st until the All-Star break was one of the best defensive teams in the league. 
And, uh, you know, they're the best scoring team in the league. Offense isn't a problem in Edmonton. They're, you know, they're circa a young Crosby Malkin of uh, 2008 to 2014 kind of thing where scoring's never an issue. But right. defending is an issue in Edmonton. And it wasn't for about six weeks, but it's really popped up the last three games. And, you know, a lot of it's really their best guys. Like for, for the longest time, Edmonton's depth scores got outscored. This year, without McDavid and, Matt and uh, Drysaddle on the ice, the orders are, are plus uh, plus 14, and they're actually plus 17 since January 1st, which is unreal. If if your third and fourth lines are outscoring the opposition by a goal a game, usually you're going to win when you got McDavid and Drysaddle. But McDavid and Drysaddle collectively on the ice are actually minus five on five. Now, granted, it's, o- it's only minus two, but still, it's minus. Like These guys were combined plus 71 the last two years, five on five. So it's been a problem. Goaltending has been an issue. It's not just like it's those two, but... You know what? Your best players got to be your best players to win. And lately, um, the Oilers' best guys are getting scored on too much. So uh, they're going to have to rectify that against the Penguins. And, you know, right now, Edmonton has the younger talent. So in theory, they should be able to beat the Pens. But whether they do or not remains to be seen. Yeah, you cite the work at five on five and even strength that, you know, the last couple of years was still a clear advantage. Obviously, you expect McDavid and Dreisaitl to do a, a, the bulk of their work or a great deal of their work on the man advantage. But Five on five, they were very good the last couple of years. And to kind of come back down to earth this year is, I guess, surprising, especially given the success we're seeing Connor, uh, Connor McDavid have. I, I just, this is a, a Lemieux Gretzky like season. We just haven't seen an offensive season like this in a long time. So does it feel like, does it feel like, I guess, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and the top two lines of Andrew Kane when he's healthy? Are those guys, you mentioned that the depth lines are pulling their weight, but is there a pressure at all on those guys that are on the ice with McDavid to to sort of feed him as, as we'll see teams do when stars are on a run or stars are producing like he is? I haven't really seen it because Zach Hyman and Nugent Hopkins are, they're hovering in the top 20 in scoring. So they're all producing, right? Um, I, I don't, I haven't seen, you know, uh, oh, we're trying to force the puck to, to McDavid, right? Like McDavid's never been, an elite goal scorer. It's kind of like Crosby in that sense, right? Crosby only scored 50 goals once. Um, now, McDavid's going to score 50 this year for the first time in his career. But, he, you know, he's historically more of a playmaker than he is a, a shooter. And I'll, I'll be honest, McDavid's goals for against aren't really reflective of chances for against. Um, the save percentage when he's on the ice hasn't been great, but neither is his on ice shooting percentage. Like the guys around him, you know, like McDavid up until two weeks ago was on pace for his worst five on five assist total of his career. And it's not because he's shooting more either uh, significantly more like a little bit, but it's more so guys weren't finishing. So I don't, I don't think McDavid's actually really played that bad to be honest, five on five. He's got a lot of unluckiness if you want to call it that. But the truth is, you know what? We can talk expected goals, Chris, all we want. Expected goals are nice, but last I checked, expected goals don't show up on the score sheet. There's either real goals or there's not. And when you're getting outscored and it's coming up on game 60, that's a problem. What is the feeling out in Edmonton, Jason, about this team and where the expectations are and where they have to be, where they have to get in the next couple of years in order to feel like the expectations are being paid off on? Because you watch a game like Sundays, like I mentioned, against the Avalanche. And for everybody else in the world, that's a thrilling game to watch, right? It's two of the most offensively gifted teams in the league, if not the two most offensively gifted teams in the league. Superstars on both sides. It goes to overtime. It's got to come back involved, all that. Great fun to watch. 
unless you're an Oilers fan and you're left sitting there going, man, this feels like last spring in the playoffs all over again. And this is a team that I, I would imagine has to pay off on some of the promise of the McDavid era at some point sooner rather than later. Is that the feeling, sort of the bubbling feeling out there? Oh, oh yeah. Oiler fans are like, enough's enough. Like they they want Ken Holland to throw in the bathroom sink, the kitchen sink, you know, the shower, whatever it takes, uh, to, you know, to make a significant trade. And, and I can see that. I think there's some validity. Now, Edmonton did go to the conference final last year. Um, so, you know, now there's no guarantee that you go to the conference final every year. We, you know, at that Pittsburgh in their heyday didn't get the conference final every year, right? Like look at Ovechkin, how many years it took to finally get out of the second round. So there's never a guarantee, um, of, of success. I think last year was a good taste for Edmonton. Um, I look at what they need. Ideally, they need a first pair right defenseman. Yeah. Good luck going to find one at the deadline. Now there is one, and I've outlined it for many months and people kind of scoffed at me when I said, Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson's elite. Now, you would have to get San Jose to retain about $4.5 million, which has never been done before. But guess what? No one thought a, a team was ever going to buy out Suter and Parise in the same year and have dead cap space. So San Jose's in a rebuild. They might be willing to do it, depending on what you offer them. But that's something I know the orders have made an offer to, uh, to San Jose on that regard. Um, you know, haven't, hasn't been accepted. So now they'll go through the process to see if they can make a trade or not. But that's, I think, the big step. You get a number one right defenseman, then Cody Cece can slot down better where he's suited as a second pair of D-man. And when guys are suited in their positions better, everybody has more success. Um, but there is lots of pressure in Edmonton. There's no you know, there's no doubt about it. Um, the fan base, uh, they they want continued success. You want a deep playoff run. Obviously, they'd love a Stanley Cup. And, and I think there's a small section of the fans who are like, well, geez, if they don't win in the next three years, Connor McDavid might leave. And I get it, but I always counter with this thought. Outside of John Tavares, which superstar has left his team right. for free agency? Right? Like it, it's talked about lots, but it doesn't really happen. And if, if McDavid and Dry, so let's say they go to the conference final or a Stanley Cup, but they don't win in the next three years, but they make it there twice. So let's say he's wow, not good enough. Now I'm going to leave. Well, where is he going to go that he's going to ensure that he's going to have a teammate as good as Drysdale? There's very few guys in the league, maybe a handful, right? Crosby's older now. He's not there. So there's McKinnon. They're not going to afford him with McKinnon and Rantanen, right? There's Matthews. And uh, maybe that's it. Like David Pasternak's pretty good, but he's a winger. So I don't know if I'd put anybody else there. So wherever he goes... He's not going to get the you know a same running mate as Drysidle, and then so it's not as easy as everybody thinks to say, well, just up and leave. If they stay close, then I think there's a good chance both of them will resign because they probably got a better chance sticking together. It's like Crosby and Malkin, right? Like look at Malkin, and he had no problem being second fiddle, even though he won a Hart Trophy like Drysidle. And I've I've long argued that if Jenny Malkin is one of the more underrated players in NHL history because he played in Sid's shadow, but the minute Sid was gone. Everybody in Pittsburgh saw how great Malkin was because he was like, oh, I get to be the number one guy. And he never complained when he wasn't the number one guy. Well, yeah, what do you get? What's the sense you get from Dreisaitl and McDavid about their desire, if either has any at all, to prove that they don't need the other guy? Does that? Oh, I don't. Well, McDavid, definitely not. And I don't even think for Dreisaitl, like he won a Hart Trophy already, right? He, he won a scoring title. Um He's outscored McDavid. Like those guys are one, two in, in league scoring. And for lots of the time, Drysaddle doesn't play with McDavid. Now they run 11 forwards lately. And so those guys will get a few shifts a game together, not predominantly when they're healthy, because you, now that you have better wingers, right, with Kane and, and, um, 
Hyman and Nugent Hopkins when he's there. But I went back and looked when the Penguins won their their when they went to back to back cups in 08 and nine. Guess who Sidney Crosby's most common line mate in the, in the regular season was? Of Jenny Malkin, right? Like, why wouldn't you play them together? Because they're great and they couldn't be stopped. And then each year, Pittsburgh, you know, got Bill Garens or other Marion Hosses and legit guys so you could spread them out. But until you got Kane and Hyman, Edmonton just didn't have that option. So the coach would be like, well, let's load up our two best guys. But I think that they know if, if they go to separate. But now you could run Hyman, Kane, and Nugent Hopkins as your second line and load up McDavid and Dreisaitl. And why not? If they're unstoppable, why wouldn't you do it? Like, it would, it would be stupid not to. That's scary. That's scary. Um, before I let you run, Jason, uh, you're, you're not just plugged in in Edmonton, but around the league as well. So I'll ask you, what is the overarching thought north of the border of where the Penguins are at, where they should be, and whether Ron Hextall is the guy to get them to that point or not? You know, it's fascinating the playoff race in the East this year, right? Like there's the six teams that are in and there's no debate on those six, but then there's really six teams now battling for two spots. And you've got, you've got the legendary Capitals and Penguins who've been two of the most dominant teams for the last 15 years in the league, but they're getting older and age. I don't care. You know, it catches up with everybody. Um, I, I don't think it's caught up individually to Sidney Crosby, but I think collectively as a group, it's caught up to the Penguins a bit. And so they haven't shown any, any reason to want to rebuild, nor should they. I think we're great players. Sidney Crosby can be great for another five years. Yeah. Look at LeBron James. Look at Tom Brady. Like Sidney Crosby's a freak of nature. The guy's always working out. If I was a Penguins fan, I wouldn't be worried about how he's going to age. He's totally aging agree. fine. Yeah. But it's the rest of their team, right? Like they got to get younger and, and got to get faster. Um, in, in other areas of their team. So I think they have a tough decision if you're Hextall. Do you move a Brian Dumoulin, for instance, at the deadline, who would have a lot of value? He's a Stanley Cup winner. He's a solid defensive defenseman. And because Buffalo's coming, they're on their way up, young guys, right? Detroit's on their way up. Um, the Islanders, I don't know what the Islanders are, to be honest. But, uh, you know, Florida's a big underachiever. That's the one team I'd still be worried about. I think, you know, Barkoff, they get healthy and if they get even a semblance of goaltending, you know, that they should be able to push to the playoffs. But, you know, the Penguins, all their games in hand will help them, right? No question. There's only Detroit and Buffalo and they're ahead of them by three points. So when I look at the Penguins, I still, I'm like, until they actually miss the playoffs, I can't, I can't count out Crosby and Malkin. I just can't do it. Right. Yeah. So, but where are they going in the future? They've got to find a way to shed some veteran salary and, and look around the league. Look at how many players, that are making a million dollars could be good contributing players. Lots, look at Taylor Radish in Chicago, for instance. People as a throw in in that deal. Guy's got 14 goals, million bucks and 14 goals, right? So when you're Crosby and Malkin, you get a guy who has good hockey sense and skill. They'll score 15 to 18 goals playing with them. You've got Gensel as a legit score. So you don't, you know, you might not be lucky enough to have six legit top line players, but when you got Crosby and Malkin, if you find some smart, competent, cheap guys, that will help the roster uh, change over. Because I don't think they're going to go rebuild until Crosby retires. Why would you? It would make no sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally in lockstep with you. I think Sidney Crosby will play like Tom Brady until he's 45 because he just loves the game that much. Uh, and as long as they can keep the pieces in, in orbit around him, they'll be okay. The question here in Pittsburgh has been, why are we spending $7 million on Jeff Carter and Kasperi Kapanen? Who yeah, like been. you know what, like those guys. Um, yeah, you got you got to shed some of those type of salary. But if you go around the league, I always try to remind fans: 
go down and there's very few teams like Boston's the exception this year, Mm -hmm. but there's very few teams that don't have a bunch of guys in the middle that aren't producing from year to year. Like um, where you look and say, geez, we're paying these three guys, 9 million and they got to combine 12 goals. What the hell's going on? Right. Like there's lots of teams that have that. So Pittsburgh's not unique, but each fan base, it stands out to them what their problems are. And then good GMs will find a way to maybe shed one or two of them, right? Like Jeff Carter's had an unreal career, but Father Time's just catching up with them. And if Jeff Carter made a million bucks, oh, you know, it, it might it, be it, worth it. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So that's where they, the, the Penguins, if there's one thing they have to look at is say, okay, we want to get the veterans, but let's go shopping in free agency for veterans on July 15th that you can sign for a million bucks. And they're probably going to have just as good a chance to score as many points or goals as the guy who signed for three million a week earlier. We'll see if Ron Hextall gets a chance to be that guy who goes shopping for those ingredients. Jason, great stuff, man. Really looking forward to Thursday night's game. Should be a fun one. Like I said, Pens should have a little bit more desperation in their step. Hopefully put together a 60-minute effort. And the Oilers looking to do the same, giving both teams troubles in the third period with the lead. Thanks so much for the time, man. I really do appreciate it. Chris, anytime, man. Uh, glad to be on the fifth uh, face-off. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's almost like... Being in a time machine watching the Oilers, as Jason alluded to there a couple minutes ago, when you watch McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins and all the talent on that young, speedy talent on that Oilers roster, he's right. It's like going in a time machine and looking back at the 2009 Cup champ Penguins, um, who are now the oldest team in the league. I didn't want to go out on a negative note like that, but no. Out on a positive note, it'll be a really, really entertaining game. At least it should be on Thursday night between the Pens and the Oilers. I think you hope if you're a Pens fan that it's not quite as entertaining as the rest of the world wants it to be and that they simplify things and perhaps don't get in too much of a back and forth with a team as fast and talented as the Oilers. And if that's the case, maybe they get off this schneid, off this losing streak and start to make something of the games in hand that they have ahead of a weekend back-to-back or, oh, no, another dreaded back-to-back this weekend, a trip to St. Louis on Saturday afternoon and then back home for the Tampa Bay Lightning on Sunday night. We'll get into that, though, on Friday and reaction to Penn's Oilers as well. Don't forget, subscribe, follow the podcast inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Be sure to download and listen to every episode. You can go back to old episodes, too. Believe me, they're not out of date. In fact, you go back and listen to those, it'll help get you a gain you a greater perspective on where this team is at right now and of course get all your future episodes once you followed and subscribe inside your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts to fifth avenue face off